This is the worst. It only feels like it keeps happening because we're recording two episodes at a time. The rest of the world has no idea what we're talking about. You don't There was our music, and now welcome to the Trade Waiters! Hooray! Yay! I don't actually remember what number episode this is, but this is the episode where we talk about Mail Order Bride by Mark Kalisnico. Number five? Yes. Okay, that's it's Kathleen says it's episode five. Seems legit. Okay. I, I concur. <laughs> All right, so uh, before we say anything else about this book or ourselves, uh, we're going to have a character-revealing question. Oh, and a spoiler alert. I think then we are saying something about ourselves. Okay. All right. So let's do the spoiler alert first. Me, me, me. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. If you have not read Mail Order Bride, you might want to read that before you listen to the rest of this episode because we will be talking about the entire book in depth and there will be no surprises after that. And hopefully you can get your hands on a copy. Yeah. Well, Angela just donated a copy to the library because the lo- copy that the library had went missing. It went missing between when I placed the hold and it arrived at the library for me to pick up. And then before I came to pick it up, once I got there, it was gone. Yeah, we both had holes on it and I certainly so. didn't get it. So mm. Someone on South Granville stole the copy is what mm. I was saying. Dare they. Classy. <laughs> but I can tell you from an availability perspective, it is unfortunately not available digitally. It is still technically published. Like you can get it from the publisher's website, but none of the comic book stores may be able to order it in. So oh. it's not in their order in ability. Oh, uh, it's probably not in Diamond it's anymore. It's not in Diamond Yeah. Uh, so you'd have to get it direct from Fantagraphics or not at all. Yeah, I got okay. a used copy on Amazon, which wasn't right. too hard, but for Canada it was a little bit... Uh, hmm. Mark, if you're listening, you need to put this on Comixology. <laughs> <laughs> that might not even be up to him. That might be up to Fantagraphics. Hmm. Well, there's other Fantagraphics books on Comixology. Okay. all right. Um, so our character revealing question is going to be, do you collect anything or have you ever collected anything? Oh my goodness. Well, I'm Jeff Ellis, and oh, the things I've collected. (laughs) What a collection. Um, I used to collect comic books. Um, That doesn't count. I collected uh, X-Men stickers that came with gum. Uh, I almost got the whole set. I also collected Hello Kitty keychains from every city I visited in Japan, and (laughs) there are now hundreds of them on display in my apartment. And then recently, I have uh, realized I've been collecting pumpkin ales. I have so (laughs) many pumpkin ales in my apartment. Different makes of pumpkin ale. It's... I finally looked at my collection today and realized I think I may have a problem. (laughs) Okay. We can help you with that problem. (laughs) I was actually going to suggest that. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Well, currently I suppose I collect yards of fabric and buttons that I say I'm going to use on a project at some point, but I never have any time to sew anymore. (laughs) So I have quite the fabric stash that I really need to use. Um, and when I was a kid, I would collect pens whenever we traveled somewhere, because we did a lot of traveling when I was, I was a child, so we get, like, a souvenir pen. Very nice, very nice. Who are you? Oh, yeah, I'm Kathleen Gross. Oh, oh, okay. I was, oh, yeah, that I was really Gross. worried, because I'm like, who is a stranger? <laughs> yeah, uh, just telling me about their fabric problems. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, you're out in public. It's TMI. <laughs> Uh, I'm Angela Malik, uh, and I think I collected more things when I was a kid, I, but I, I don't think I have the collector gene. So uh, some of my collections were a little bit haphazard, and these days I don't collect very much. I collect signed editions of, care, of books that I really care about. So I, I consider that more of like a curated collection, though, where I am constantly reading it out and stuff like that. But the one thing I do collect is photos uh, of face things. So you know those signs that you have that has a hole and you put your face in? <laughs> I collect photos of that from all over the world, and I have so Ooh. many. And I, I 
force Trevor so often to like pull over. We gotta look at the face thing. We gotta <laughs> go and take a picture of the face thing. That's and a good collection. It's been awesome so far, <laughs> let me tell you, because some of them are really bad and I don't even care. I'm like, the worst ones, please let me find them. <laughs> wow, nice. Yes. All right, uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton. Um, I used to be a cereal collector, at, not, not a collector of cereal, but someone who collected many things when I was a kid. I collected so many different things. And on some of those collections, I guess I still have, but they're in boxes and drawers, and I never do anything with them. Uh, they're stored away in as compact a space as possible. Uh, I don't think I really collect anything anymore. Um, I do have a pathological inability to throw books away, but that's, I think, separate from having a collection where I need to have all the things. Um, when I was a kid, one of the things that I collected a lot, though, was flags. I would get little, you can get these little um, flags of different countries from around the world, oh, yeah. from flag stores. I had, I would get that for every Christmas, birthday, uh, add to my flag collection. And then, of course, there's political stuff happening in the world, and there's new flags, and I have to get those flags. I loved flags when I was a kid. And I was so upset that I could never get the flag of Greenland, because Greenland, it has such a cool flag, and nobody seems to print Greenland flags. I don't know why. Well, and before you know it, you're going to have to update your New Zealand flag. <laughs> well, I don't, haven't updated anything in a while. <laughs> How many stars are on that American flag? The right number. I'm not that old. Come on. <laughs> okay, so maybe let's talk about this book that we're actually having a podcast for. I, I guess. Um, <laughs> so what, what's this book again? All right, so uh, this is Mail Order Bride by Mark Kalisnico. Uh This was my recommendation. Um, and maybe I'll just... I've got a little information about Mark and the book and a little bit of context maybe for my recommendation. Um, so this is actually the first independent comic book I ever read. So uh, I had been reading just Spider-Man and superhero comics and I was getting really tired of them and someone at the comic book store said, you should read this because it's different. And I was really taken with this idea that you could have a story that wasn't about superheroes and wasn't humorous and had lots of other other things to say. And um, I uh, I picked that up and I, I really enjoyed it. I think I read it when I was tw like 22 and I found it really profound at the time. Uh, it was really interesting reading it again recently. I have some different thoughts on it now. Um, but I also... Uh, remember that I went to San Diego Comic Con I think that year or the year after and uh, Mark Kalisnico was at the Fantagraphics table and he was only going to be there for a few hours and I found out what times he was going to be there and as was my experience at m most other artist tables I was expecting like an hour of being in line to come and talk to the artist I came across a gentleman standing at a table with absolutely no one in front of him, looking a little bit forlorn. And uh, I came over and talked to him, and I told him how much I loved his book, and I told him how I lent it to all my friends and how much they had loved this book. And the fact that people had read his book was so meaningful to him. Uh, I, I gathered from talking to him that he had not really hit the critical... Uh, or economic praise he'd been hoping for with this book. And uh, he was quite tickled to just meet a fan. And he did a wonderful drawing for me in, in my sketchbook. And uh, I mentioned, because the story set in British Columbia, I commented on that, and we actually found out that we both have cousins in Castlegar. Hmm, nice. And we really, he was really amazed that the one fan that showed up at his table was also someone from British Columbia, where he's from. And so, yeah, it was a really cool encounter, and I sort of, like, moved on to so many other books, but when we started doing this podcast, I really wanted to go back to the beginning, so to speak, which is why I sort of threw this recommendation out without really researching whether it was easily accessible. Um, <laughs> You're free. But uh, Mark Kalisnico was actually born and raised in Trail, B.C., and he started his art career at the David Thompson University Art Center in Nelson, B.C., which uh, may already be ringing some bells for people who have just read this story. 
Um, he relocated to California and studied at the California Institute for the Arts and got his BFA in character animation. Um, he was an, a layout artist and he did work for uh, Disney professionally. Um, and his first work was uh, Adolf Hears a Who in 1991, which was an eight-page story published by Fantagraphics. Uh, I can only imagine. Uh, he later did uh, SOS in 1992, Alex in 1994, uh, Why Did Pete Duell Kill Himself in 1997, and Mail Order Bride in 2001. And uh, Mail Order Bride and Pete Duell are available in... Um, many other languages, and Mail Order Bride actually was released in a serialized form in Korea. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And was tra- translated into Korean. Um, so his latest book is called Freeway. Uh, I have only read Alex and Mail Order Bride. Um, I haven't really found it easy to get my hands on his other books. I would have to say, uh, from reading this again, um, I definitely found it a little more ham-fisted uh, than my first reading. So I think when I was 22 years old, it was like, wow, this is saying <laughs> profound things. I can't even believe this. And I think uh, in, in rereading it uh, with a little more age and wisdom, I definitely think... I, I felt... I found it... Maybe it's because I've been doing Bones of the Coast. But I found myself... Um, my editor brain was going, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that dialogue needs to be rewritten. That... We can cut that down. Um... <laughs> That scene can go, like, I said all these, like, little tweaks in my head. Um, Overall, I actually still found myself enjoying the story, and um, I think that my biggest takeaway that I kind of wrote a little note to myself is that I I still see this as a real cautionary tale. Um, And I think definitely for me, when I was 22, um, I think I looked at this as a... uh, like, what not to do with your life. <laughs> and the character of Monty Wheeler, like, I saw all the things I don't like about myself in him, and I was reading that going, I need to make sure that that is not me when I'm 34 years old. <laughs> Which I'm feeling pretty confident. <laughs> like, I do not just, like, live in my comic book store and begrudge the cool kids who done me wrong yeah. uh, at this <laughs> point in my life. So I feel like I succeeded in that regard. Uh, anyways, I've talked long enough, so I'd like to definitely get some feedback from the, our other readers here. Okay. Um, I also read this book a while ago and have recently reread it. And similarly uh, with Jeff, I didn't enjoy it as much the second time around as the first time. Uh, I remember having read it the first time and the point where there's kind of a flip in the script and uh, we see sort of another side of... uh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten all the characters' names. Kyung? Uh, Kyung, yeah. There's a sort of a flip in her character. We find out more about her character than has really... At least that I had thought about at that point. Uh, That was, I think... That was worthwhile when I read it the first time. Uh, Reading it the second time, the first part of the book was hard to get through. Uh, because I think that's the part where it's kind of um, more ham-fisted than it needs to be. You could get the same point across with less. But the second part I still enjoyed as sort of a study of characters. There's some interesting characters mm-hmm. in this book. Um, but I would probably not recommend it as highly as I might have when I first read it, which I'm not sure how many years ago that was now. But well, a while ago, about almost ten yeah. years ago. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't read it ten years ago, but it was almost ten years ago, maybe. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Uh, so it was a little bit tough for me to get a hold of. So I am not as prepared as I'd like to be. I got the book yesterday oh, and wow. plowed through it. So my, I, I did not have a chance to let the ideas percolate through my psyche as much as I usually like to, so I apologize if some of these ideas are half-formed. No worries. I was worried cracking open this book, but I found it easier to get through than I thought it would be. So I'm still trying to put together how exactly I feel about this book. I feel like it's an uncomfortable subject that's not too badly handled. So it's like a very, it's a subject that could be very easily mishandled. That could be wildly mishandled. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I don't think it's that badly handled. 
but it is still an uncomfortable subject for me mm -hmm. and brings up a lot of uncomfortable themes, which isn't always necessarily bad. It's like I can sit with discomfort, but for that reason, I'm not sure I enjoyed it. Mm. And like there are certain things where I disagree with the direction that the book took or it, I was disappointed mm. in the direction that the mm -hmm. book took. But I was really interested in some of the themes that it explored and the way that it explored them. I was actually really interested in a lot of the metaphors that were brought out in the book. Um, and I thought that was a level beyond than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I thought it was really interesting that it took place in, uh, I guess, Trail, right? Is it Trail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I, we, <laughs> I talked about this with, with him when I was at San Diego because uh, it's a fictional town, but then... But then they talk about Seven he, Mile. But then he said, he said, oh, like, if you're from BC, you know that that's Trail, because Trail has the big smelter. Yeah, and I exactly. did the smelter in the scene, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was interesting, because yeah. it's not a setting that's very often explored, mm -hmm. and it's actually something that I've been wanting to explore in uh, future works of my own. Oh, right I, I'd, I'd love to set something in northern BC, because mm -hmm. it is a very unique type of setting. Absolutely, yeah. I think, I think yeah, I would... I think the one thing that I would say still gets top marks for me is sense of place. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I felt similarly to you, Angela, reading this book. Um, my notes here, like initial reaction, this book is an uncomfortable read. I yeah. found it um, quite uncomfortable to read for both reasons that I think the author intended and for reasons that I don't think he intended. Um, yeah, I'll pretty much just second a lot of what you, you said there. But yeah, it, it was... I'm not sure how I feel about it. I don't know if it's really handling the subject in the best way. But, um, I don't know, I guess we can get into that a little bit. Um, I, like, I just felt like Kyung, uh, by the end of like 256 pages or whatever, I just didn't feel like she was as whole a character as she could have been. Like, mm. I felt like the story sort of focused on Monty too much. And I feel like, because um, I went, and I feel like uh, the whole idea of mail order brides and that experience I don't know a lot about. So I went and did a bit of research about it on my own because I didn't want to come to this discussion super unprepared. But a lot of the discussion online um, and the stuff that I could find just, you know, through, like, Google searches and, and looking was sort of, like, really focusing on the men in the relationships. Mm. Um, like, the top Google searches are... If you, like, search mail order bride or, like, these men talk about their experiences ordering mail order brides. And it's very much, like, guided by, um, I guess, misogyny. Um, like, focusing on the men in the relationship and kind of seeing women, the women as these objects who are ordered and, and that come over. And I think that maybe his um, critique of this phenomenon would have been stronger if we knew more about Kyung, because we don't know anything about mm. where she comes from or why she's making this decision. We know why Monty's made this decision, and we sort of know why she's made this decision. Like, well, she doesn't... To. She wants to escape her past, but we don't know what that is, mm. and maybe you feel... You guys might feel that we don't need to know that, but for me, I just, I just felt like it could have been more. There could have been oh, more of her yeah. in this story. It just... Yeah. It was too much about Monty. Like, yeah. there's... I don't think there's anyone, well, maybe there are, maybe there are gross people who would come into the story and really sympathize with Monty and be like, he's right, he's the hero, I relate to him, but I think most people I know and myself, like, I didn't come into this, I, I came into this going, I'm probably definitely going to sympathize with Young. Yeah. Um, and I didn't necessarily, I don't know, I, there could have been a little, like, we could have focused on Young more in that well, way. Oh, what, was, what was so frustrating to me is that we spent... You know, I'm not sure that I agree that we focused more on Ward. For me, it was more about the arcs in the book. And what was frustrating for me is that we spent all this time investing in Kyung and her growth. And she did grow as a character. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, her agency is removed. Yeah. And that she's was so stuck upsetting. at the same place. And Monty, it feels to me like there are, you know, suggestions of growth. But I feel like by the end of the book, he has not grown at all. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. And that was the key frustration for me with this book. Mm -hmm. It's like if they had grown to, you know, we have to actually learn about each other as people and either separate or make peace with who we actually are and not mm. our constructed visions of each other. Mm. Uh, so the way the book ended was a little bit odd for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I found it upsetting, and I, it, I didn't like the way the book ended. Yeah. I felt like it was the least interesting route that yeah. you could take narratively. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. As to, as to what what could happen. Yeah, kind of crushing. <laughs> no, well, yeah, yeah, there was, was also... definitely a feeling of, like, a crushing 
and like then nothing how do you fix this now yeah like also just like that that scene where they become violent with each other like i don't know how i feel about that in relation to cases where women are murdered by their husbands uh in male order bride situations it's actually quite common yes mm. it, i was in my research there's a whole in the i mean wikipedia isn't a great source but you can use it to find other sources and as sort of a barometer as to how people in general feel about something but there's a whole section under like united states where it's like violence against women in male order bride situations and it's quite upsetting so i don't know how that how i feel about that scene in relation to the reality of the experience mm. Yeah. I'm still, like, working through how, yeah, yeah, how yeah, I feel yeah. about this book. Yeah. Um, well, I, I would say, like, I think that, um, that uh, I think that scene was one that I actually thought read a little sloppy because it's like they've been building this tension between the two of them, and instead of having, like, a dialogue about it, they, it's like, oh, we'll just have them fight. Yeah. And I thought that was just kind of like, well, this is the scene where it has to be really extreme, so we'll just have a fist fight because that'll just be easier than writing a lot of dialogue where you have to really have people express feelings to each other. Um, and I, I think that would have been better as more of like a, a shouting match, like an argument, where they could really like lay down their, their feelings to each other. Um, yeah, no, because like what's interesting about that scene, or why the reason the scene is in the book is because they are finally expressing things that they have not said before. Mm -hmm. You don't need them to punch each other for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just thought that was unnecessary. Mm. And and I, I think the ending is really what uh, what kills it for me. Because I think that the uh, the middle part where Kyung is going to art school and, and expanding her her world, uh, that I thought was really well done. Uh, it reminds me of times like when I was like going to art school and just starting to kind of grow up and become a person. And I thought that in a way, like... I mean, Kyung was already grown up, but it's like she was kind of coming into herself. And yeah, herself as a Canadian in this new yeah. world, you know, expanding her social circle more yeah. so than even her. Yeah, and her I, aesthetic awareness. Yeah, and I, I thought I thought that was really well done. And then I, I yeah, I, I would totally agree. I think that the very end, where she basically just uh, is like, well, I guess I'm just gonna. My, my well, friend got married, so I'm just going to throw in the towel and stay with Monty. I was like, really? Like, I that's was, really I weak tea. I was thinking about it. And actually, if you think about it in the context of the book, she is actually trapped. So Monty's not paying her to work at uh, the store. So uh, her modeling job was her first job, and that was one of the things that she was so exciting about. And the trip, she was going to be hired to be the model over the course of this trip. So actually, oh. if you remove the trip, she has no... No means of, no of generating means. income to get yeah. away. Yeah. She could have mm. fought harder, in my opinion. Uh, there could have been a, a, a little bit more of a, a struggle and a choice on her part, but if you think about it, her circumstance is pretty dire. Um, yeah, that seems like something that should have actually come up in the story then, because you're yeah. right, now that I think about it, she doesn't have any other good options, but she doesn't sort of, we don't see her reaction to that, like yeah. how, mm. how what she thinks about this situation, that yeah, removing the um, this other woman who's going to go on the trip with her. Like without that, she literally doesn't have an escape because it, it feels like um, it's written as if this is her choice. That uh, if she doesn't have someone to travel with, then she could choose to travel by herself or to stay, and she chooses to stay. But no, you're right; she can't travel on her own. She has no money. Yeah, yeah and I, I think that maybe like it almost needed to be more. Uh, I don't know, it, maybe maybe it needed to vilify Monty more. Like, they needed to really drive home the point that that of that being trapped. Because, yeah, I didn't... I, I, my impression is I felt like she was at a stage where she was capable of escaping. And, and the fact that she remained, I couldn't... I was like, why? Why are you still here? Like, yeah. you need to go. For like, me, you should have already left. If she had set some... Even if she had stayed but set some real firmer boundaries within the context of the relationship, like mm. if she had new, used her new agency and her new sense of control to kind of change the dynamic quite a bit, and this is, again, where it comes back to, I didn't see any change in Monty at all. Mm -hmm. He falls into the same controlling role of, like, his expectations are really clear and he doesn't he treats her as an object rather than a person. And uh, that that is the core disappointment for me. It's like, mm. Eve is not, sorry, Kyung is not stepping up to 
really try and change where she's at and change the sphere that she has control over. Mm-hmm. For example, there's a, there's a lot of ways that this could have come out. She could have changed the house, which obviously makes her really uncomfortable with all the grotesque figures on the wall. Mm-hmm. It comes up again and again, and there are steps that she takes to modify certain things, but she could have totally redecorated, you yeah. know? And Monty's concession of some of his things, that could have been a way for them to bring a partnership. And it's funny because I went back to the initial scene, the opening scene of the book, where they're being talked about and they're in a grocery store and they look happy. Mm. And it's a different scene at the end where they look very despondent and kind of just like mm. muddling through. Mm-hmm. Like you could have seen them bridging towards at least an understanding, at least a, a way to exist together. Mm. But Kyung leaving, I think it is a really kind of economic hardship that is preventing right. that. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't think about it that way. I think it actually puts almost a slightly better spin on it because mm-hmm. I just sort of felt like she had just sort of given up. Yeah. And, and it really, it, I think she that's is the really way, trapped. Like, it, having, since I came out of it with the same impression, I think that it's, I, I do think it's written that way, which does, yeah, like when you consider it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have something to, to add? <laughs> no, just looking at my okay. notes. Um, but, um, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, I don't know. I guess, like, one thing that I did appreciate about this book was that it was um, a story that sort of talks a lot about fetishization, orientalism, and racism, and it's set within Canada because I feel like a lot of um, sort of quote unquote, uh, like, well, no, narratives that are focusing on race and race issues are set in the U.S., and up here in Canada, we have this mentality of, like, well, we're not perfect here, but at least we're not the states. But things are, can be <laughs> quite dire up here, both mm-hmm. historically and in the present. Oh, yeah, um, especially in B.C. Yeah. In northern B.C., <laughs> yeah. So I, I did appreciate that there was a story um, about sort of talking about those themes and issues and experiences set in Canada and set in BC. Yeah. yeah, and I think maybe that is one of the other things that made it such an uncomfortable read because these issues are real to us. These were issues, these issues exist and these types of attitudes still exist and affect you know people that we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it's a it's yeah. a problem, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of like on that note, like, what do you guys think of the cover of this book? Because I'm like not huge on it and. I found the choice of making, um, it, it's an image of Kyung, and her skin is green and monstrous, and, mm. like, her hand is sort of extended in this, like, kind of strange, kind of uh, talon, almost. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, like, to me, and maybe I'm not the person to make this judgment, but it seemed kind of othering of her, and mm. kind of just, like, making her, like, a strange curiosity or almost monstrosity through the color choice. Yeah, it could be that that color choice is just a misprint, but even if you remove that, it does look, it is very much in uh, keeping with the theme of Orientalism and kind of exoticization. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I'm using that word right, but yeah. it it is, I don't know, I hadn't given much thought to the cover. Yeah, I It don't... definitely misled me. I thought it would be a completely different book based on this cover. Right, yeah, see, that seems like a problem. It's, it's misleading about the contents, mm. so... Yeah. I would agree with that. I also think that, um, I mean, it's interesting you say it makes it, like, um, it's in, increasing the orientalization because, like, she's also in the Korean dress that she hated to wear, that Monty wanted to wear as his way of fetishizing her. Yeah. And so, in a sense, like, I almost feel like that's maybe, uh, I mean, I don't know the thought process, but I almost feel like maybe maybe the the cover is meant to kind of depict this is like that end product where she's just in her costume as this sickly kind of statue on display for for Monty. And it's like kind of like reflecting the very sad end in in the front cover, yeah. potentially. And it could be also, it's like, this is what was being quote unquote sold. It's like, this was the image in the catalog that Monty thought he was buying and the, the mm. contents reveal what is actually the truth. Right. But I, I don't know. I don't know if it works for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fair, but I don't I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was, like, trying to look up stuff about, like, stories from um, women who had lived the experience of being a mail-order bride, and they're, at least from what I was seeing online, they're kind of hard to come by. Like, if mm-hmm. anyone wants to send some my way, I'd really appreciate that, because I feel really, like, uneducated. And mm-hmm. there's this regard... Um, like, the two articles I could find pretty easily, one was about um, a woman who was 
a mail-order bride and then wound up in this, like, really abusive relationship and got out of it, and that was, like, a kind of a powerful read. And then there was this other one that was just so unpleasant. It was this woman who was like, yeah, I was a mail-order bride from the Ukraine, but I'm not like those other mail-order brides. You see, I'm different. And it just sort of, like, reeked of of that sort of, like, woman hate. It was, and, Mm. like kind of a little bit of racism because she's like no you don't understand i speak english really well uh, it's a it's a difficult waters to navigate as a subject yeah and i I think like the there's a lot of male order brides from uh thailand and korea especially mm -hmm. and this kind of you find it is quite uh often the case when i i haven't done any specific research in conjunction with the book but it is something that it's like oh, this is weird, I'm interested and I'm going to research it more. And so I've researched it kind of in passing the similar way that you may have. And what I, oh, I've noticed is that a lot of guys think like, oh, you know, Western women, they're all so bossy and controlling. I want a woman who's going to be obedient and subservient. That's why they go after the Asian women. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, it is one of the reasons why. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do think that I appreciated that that was in a way one of the cruxes yeah. with their relationship is that he's expecting her to be subservient and she is not and that's kind of one of the major sticking points right off the top where he's wanting her to be a certain way that he has in his mind and she's not living up to that fantasy um yeah i mean that was like clearly the most like basic critique that of of that experience that uh was trying to go for and i think that works but yeah uh, and and also the the confrontation of uh exoticization exotic Mm -hmm. fetishism Mm -hmm. That, yeah, and, like, Orientalism that it, yeah. he, he's so, like, obsessed with. And the really, yeah, just gross fetishizing uh, of Asian women that unfortunately yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah, so as a critique, I thought that went well. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was interesting. And there, there was a couple of other things that I found really interesting as well. So the book opens with a scene of nudity, which you're, uh, you're I think, led to assume must be Kyung. But later you find out it's the dancer. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting to me is that you don't see Kyung exposed until it is when she takes her own uh, authority to do so. So it's mm. only when she's gone and done the photographs with Eve, Eve? Yeah. Eve. Yeah. Uh, in, in the foundry. Those are your first images of Kyung naked. Right. Whereas, like, objectification and nudity are, you know, quite common in this book mm-hmm. throughout the pages. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting uh, motif or decision to make. And I also really liked the scenes where... They, they kept coming back to this scene where this nude dancer is confronted by uh, cheerleaders dressed in black who have a feminine symbol on the front who I took to mean conforming gender roles for women. Yeah. And at the beginning, she watches this and she's kind of uh, taken aback but then entranced. Then later in the book, she sees herself in the role of the dancer and she takes on uh, this photography project but towards the end of it, she takes on the role of the cheerleader. And right. she's like, she's conforming again. Right. And, and enforcing this. Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the highlights to me. Is that that still sticks with me, is the, the re- repetition of the of the dance number with the, the cheerleaders. And, and, I don't know, that was just very, like, an abstract kind of uh, approach to, to, to the storytelling that I yeah. think worked well. Um, and I think that was better than when he was trying to say things in the dialogue, where some of that just felt very, like, fist to the face, and you're like, oh, just subtle, subtle. Yeah, you don't definitely. have to just show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I really liked that scene. I wore that series of scenes. I thought yeah. that was a really interesting yeah. tactic. No, I, yeah, I think that was, that was definitely a highlight. Um, I really liked the, the secondary characters. There's some really interesting characters, like the, the, the interesting conversations and relationships are all uh, Monty and his family, or Kyung and her friends. Like, those to me felt much more real and mm. understandable, and uh, I think I got a lot more out of those mm. than the relationship between the two of them, which yeah. is oh, just yeah. Mo- ununderstandable. Mo- Monty getting stuck in the snow, and then his dad and brothers coming to take the car rescue the car, right? And, mm. and him feeling emasculated in front of his father, and his father basically just reinforcing that entire dynamic. Mm. Um, or Kyung taking advantage of that and getting, inviting his parents over 
so that she can get a car that works. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was funny. Though. I thought yeah. that was really clever. Yes, that was, that was well done. That was well done. Again, like I think... And King and Eve is really good, too. I like yeah, that. That, that was probably that had really a good arc. my favorite dynamic. Yes, yeah. Eve, Eve was a... a a good character. Um, again, I thought that was a bit of a cop out at the end, with just like, oh, but everything's working out. No, but that's the art. That's now. the art. Like Eve, she builds Eve up to be this sort of ideal figure, and it turns out, no, Eve is just not just a person too. Doesn't yeah. work out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think that those kind of middle pieces, I think, worked really well. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think it needed a different ending. I absolutely <laughs> agree with that. I think it needed a different ending. Uh, and just a little more subtlety. Like, I mean, um, like when when Kyung, uh, like, actually has sex with him and then he goes in the bathroom and cries. He's like, thank God I'm not going to die a virgin. I'm like, really? You wrote that scene? Really? Like, you could convey that feeling in so many other ways without actually having your character, like, burst into tears and say, like, I'm, I'm so happy yeah. I'm not going to One panel facial expressions. <laughs> that, that would do it. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely rolled my eyes on that. <laughs> yeah, okay. And in general, it, it's so funny because, like, you would expect Kyung to be, like, the flat character. To me, I thought she had a lot of depth, but Monty, to me, was very cardboard. Oh, yeah. He was a stereotype through and through. And yeah. I would have preferred to see more depth than Monty, which I, is not something I often well, say. Me <laughs> I wouldn't say that I thought that Kyung was flat. I just yeah. thought, like, she could have... There could have been more there like okay. we could have had more information and more interaction with her like yes. I, I do think like she had a nice arc and she was like you got to learn sort of stuff yeah um perhaps like it inferring was a lot less textual it, yeah it was yeah. yeah so you infer you can infer a lot about Kim, but textually there's not a lot to go on mm-hmm. yeah monty mm-hmm. i feel like Everything's on the page, and there's not a lot there. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, I would absolutely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, go ahead, John. Uh, I was, yeah, was going to say there's that sort of that flip at the end where we Monty sort of does his little analysis of Kyung's character. It seems to me that would be the point where we know let's actually find out something about this woman. Who is she? Why is she here? What is she doing? Yeah. And she's like, they called me a coward. Well, we know we know that she was grew up in an orphanage, yeah. and she didn't get adopted. Yeah, she didn't get adopted. She doesn't have any friends. She has weird uh, self perception, uh, probably not very healthy self perception, um, and doesn't seem to know much about the rest of the world. No, um, she but like that's a, about it. Her exposure to art did seem to be very you know, groundbreaking for her. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. she hadn't had a lot of exposure to that in her past. Yeah. So, but again, all these things are inferred. But she yeah. didn't know how to drive. She, uh, or she didn't have very much experience driving. Mm-hmm. She seemed to pick up on it pretty quick. We knew she was not good with numbers. And <laughs> <laughs> perhaps uh, used to taking care of herself more than not. But, yeah, yeah again, I think it, to me it comes back to Monty and... Yeah, I, I would say that, I mean, maybe um, maybe this wasn't intentional, but I always read in a way that Monty's complete static uh, lack of growth was intentional hmm. in that he is one of those people. Like, I mean, am I, and I read a lot into him, but yeah. when I look at him, I see him as, um, again, like this cautionary tale. And, I, and a part of that cautionary tale is an inability to change, an inability to look outside of your own ego and consider anyone else around you and to just be the victim and just expect that, oh, they done me wrong and, and, and the world owes me. And, and I think that at least as a portrait of someone who is just so totally lost in, in that and is not going to get out of it and is not going to get better, like, I think that's a real, like, there are people like that. And yeah, I think that no, was a really well-realized portrait. I agree. And I agree with that interpretation. Like, that makes sense to me. Like, his unwillingness to change is what got him in this situation in the first place. Yeah. But I think if you're going to have a character like that who is basically flat, there's no arc mm-hmm. at all, then your other character needs to definitely have a really strong arc. Yes. And overcome at some point. Yeah. Because she comes back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or if she doesn't overcome, then it's got to be yeah. written as a real tragedy. Yeah. Like, yeah. she should have overcome. Yeah. No, we need to feel more bad that she doesn't overcome. Yeah, that, that is the real flaw. Oh, I felt awful. Okay. <laughs> I was really upset. 
That no, that is that is the real flaw. Is that I think it's it comes down to the ending because like I think that really like you can leave Monty doesn't have to grow. You can leave him mired in his in his bullshit, right? Uh, are we are we an explicit podcast? I don't know. We've never really <laughs> talked about that. We uh, are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can bleep that if you want. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. we get one yeah. per episode. Yeah, there you, you go. He'd be mired in, in in his in his problems forever, but then Kyung has to then move out of that. She has to move forward in her life, mm-hmm. right? What would have been a better ending is to end with him like on his couch, surrounded by his his plastic toys, completely alone and telling himself whatever story he needs to tell himself about how she done him wrong and he's Uh just, the world owes him, you know, and he'll just pull out his mail-order bride catalog to try again, you know? Or or uh, she stays with him but sort of builds a wall around him where he's got his little corner of the room with his toy collection and she, like, doesn't talk to him, doesn't have anything to do with him. Because she can't leave, she doesn't have any money, mm-hmm. but she can still put him in a box. Like yeah. she's not she weaker can still than him. Take control over her own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it, that's why I just thought the end was. It didn't make sense to me. Cause she's demonstrated that she can take. She's got a lot of power moves, right? Like, well, she gets the car fixed. She brings all those people over and has a big house party. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like she has so much con- moments of control, and then. It's just for, I don't know, to me, no reason. She just kind of goes, eh, whatever. Well, I think specifically her control, all her control is over his world. Mm-hmm. So that shouldn't end. Like, she should maintain that control. Even if he can demonstrate to her, you have no control if you leave this house, she still has total control over that house. She can do whatever she wants with that house. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I yeah, that's, I just need, I just needed something, something more growth for Kyung at the end. And mm. I think that this could have been... I don't know. More well thought of in the room right now. <laughs> I think, like, at the end of the day, this is an okay critique and exploration of um, male order brides and like the experience of being a male order bride. But it could also be better. Like yeah. it's mm-hmm. flawed. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I would say like I don't know. You can tell me what you think of this, but I feel like he did a lot of his due diligence on like Korean culture and trying to convey a Korean character effectively. I think maybe he just doesn't quite understand like the perspective of being a woman in a you know where you have in no a male power to like I, I think maybe it suffers a little from like a male gaze. Yeah, I would be interested to know why he settled on this particular narrative and like why he made that decision. Just just mm. curious is mm. like is this something he's come across in his own own life where he observed you know, um, something like this happening, um, or is this just something that he thought was interesting and, and wanted to explore on his own? Like, I'd be well, interested just to know the, like... If he did grow up in trail in the smelter, it is my impression that, you know, there is a real gender imbalance in towns like that. Like, there are a lot of uh, men who are drawn from distant places who get to go work in the mine, and because there is a gender imbalance just in general in the town, it is harder to find... Mm. Uh, of someone to be in a relationship with. So it could be, and I'm kind of spitballing here, I've seen it happen in, Trail is not that small. Right. I've seen it happen in more northern towns where they will bring a mail-order bride just because of that gender mm. disparity in the town. Mm. So it could be something that he's exposed to that way. And right. certainly, like, in the beginning scene with the plane coming from Vancouver, there was another person right there yeah, who was in yeah, the same yeah. relationship. Yeah. So it's not outside of all... Yeah. Well, it, it's possibly seen it from afar and was trying to imagine what that was like. Mm-hmm. That would be like my best guess, but right. I don't. I'm not the author. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I. I. Yeah. I, I would. I, I would say like in a, in a lot of ways. I think part of the other reason I recommended this book is I kind of wanted it to have this uh, litmus test, so mm-hmm. to speak, of like how effective it was, and I definitely think that. Um, Maybe in 2001, it was maybe dealing with things that were not really being thought of. In comics, at least. In comics. But I think at this point, maybe our dialogue has expanded to a point where uh, this really doesn't meet all the all the needs of, of an appropriate an- analysis or a discussion of a topic like this. Yeah, yeah. maybe not. It was, I, I don't regret reading it. <laughs> well, it's an interesting okay. video. Uh, all right, I guess it's uh, final thoughts. Um, Do you recommend it, John? Hmm, that's a good question. 
I'm not actually sure I know the answer to that question. I started us, so I'll, okay. I'll start this. So, um, yeah, I, I think I would still recommend it. Um, I think that it definitely has flaws. Um, I really like the art. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I would, I would say just don't become Monty. <laughs> Whatever you do, just read this and then just everything Monty does, do the opposite of that and you'll be fine. You're like, oh, well, real, <laughs> real quick side note about the art. I was really interested to learn that he worked for Disney because the art is just like so not. Oh, yeah, like that's true. Disney or that animation. Just just a, a, a <laughs> quick yeah. thought. Yeah, yeah. the style is interesting. It's different. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I think for it serves sure. the material well. Yeah. I, I would, I'm going to say that my answer is I would recommend this book to anyone who is looking for something that they want to deconstruct. Like, over a cup of coffee and think deep, complicated thoughts about. If you have a <laughs> college essay or university essay that you need to write in your Orientalism class, maybe choose this book. No, actually, there you that's, go. A, that's a good point. Like, when I was writing term papers, uh, probably the best advice I got is, like, look up the critiques first and find things that have a lot of things to say about it, because that's going to be a much easier essay to write. <laughs> Uh, if you find this book in your hands, I think it would be worth reading, just as a something interesting, like John said, to think about. Uh, but I would not... It, it took a lot of effort to find it, and I'm not sure I would recommend with enthusiasm that you it's wade through that. those waters to find it, <laughs> as I did. But it'll be at the library, and so that's no risk. It'll be at BPL. Until the same person steals it again. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's hoarding me. That's their house. collection. Oh! <laughs> um, I don't I would recommend this book. I think uh, the situation in which I would recommend it is if someone came to me looking specifically for material that dealt with this subject matter uh, or with like orientalist tropes within comics or something like that, uh, that's when I would recommend it. But for general reading, maybe not. You could read Miss Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone should just be reading Miss Marvel anyway. That's the next episode. Yeah, I was gonna. I was about to say, aren't we reading that? Oh, oh, next? okay. Well, let's let's do things in the right order, please. <laughs> okay, so first, uh, we are going to thank Mark Kelsnico for this book and Fandographics for publishing it. And um, I'm sorry, we had lots of bad things to say about your book. We had some good things to say too. It was thought provoking at the very least. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I'll still say, Mark, you really need to look into comicsology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is someone who should be making a living off of his comics. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and uh, so we already talked about where it's available. It's not super available, but it's around if you can find it. Then we're going to do sign-offs. Um, I'm Jonathan Dalton. You can find my work at lostcitycomics.com. And my mainstream shout-out for today is going to be Band vs. Band by any other Kathleen. <laughs> no, no, it's so good. She's amazing, and her work is so so fabulous. Yeah, it's it's a web comic. So Google band versus band comic. I forget the actual address. There is a printed it's, volume now, John. There is. Yeah, it's BVB, BVB comics with an X dot com. I, I want to say. Yeah, I think yeah. that's correct. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. True. Yeah, I was just looking at it the other day, and she did a great panel of turpentine in her room kind of slumped over the bed and I was just <laughs> marveling at the amount of detail in that panel. Oh, Such yeah. fun great. characters. It's great. Uh, I'm Angela Mellick. You can find my uh, work at wastedtalent.ca. Uh, if I could do a self-shout out, I just released a uh, short story, sort of, a, a short travelogue uh, for download by donation. It's called Team Burning and it's about my experiences at Burning Man and you can check that out. Uh, there's a link at the top of my website. And my mainstream shout-out, though, for, in general, has got to be Bitch Planet. I don't know if I've said it before. I'm saying it again. <laughs> Bitch Planet. Man, I just got caught up to uh, floppy number five. And Ooh. it's still, like, the first the first floppy I read of it was so amazing that I had to, like, put it down and be like, huh. And then, like, went right back to the beginning and read it again. Like, it was amazing. <laughs> and the essays in the book are even better than the content of the comic itself. So even though we are called the Trade Waiters, I'm going to have to recommend that you jump on this and read the floppies of Bitch Planet now because oh. I've been reading in the letters and it seems like not all of the letters and essays will be included in the trade mm -hmm. version. And they are worth the price of admission alone. All right. Cool. 
I'm Kathleen Gross, and you can find my work at cagcomics.tumblr.com, which is K-A-G-C-O-M-I-X. Um, and I guess my shout-out is, I'm going to shout-out Island again. I know I shouted them out before. Uh, I really, really enjoyed Simon Roy's story um, in, it's either issue two or issue three, but it is a really interesting science fiction piece. Oh, right on. Okay, and I am Jeff Ellis, and you can find my work at jeff-ellis.ca. And um, my mainstream shout-out will be for Sex Criminals, uh, which I just finished the first, uh, I guess, arc, and I'm looking at reading the second trade paperback on uh, Comixology. And is it ongoing? It's Um, ongoing. Okay, well, I will probably be switching over to an issue-by-issue subscription after I finish that one, so... That's a good read. Yeah. That's a good, good Absolutely. Read. Yeah, I'm going to be greedy and do a second shout-out. How dare you? Because um, I shouted out... Um, we, well, we both shouted out Mary Internum by yeah. Dershing Helmer last time. Yeah. But since then, holy crap. It's gotten even crazier. <laughs> just go read that comic right now. Start at the beginning. Don't look at the current page. Find just, the just first page. Just go to page one. Yeah. Start reading. It's gone cray. Holy oh. crap. So good. And there's water on Mars. <laughs> and it's yeah. about water on Mars. Yeah. So oh, you right. should, like, there's literally water on Mars, and it's about water on Mars. So wow. you should read it now. <laughs> <laughs> so next episode will be the first two trade paperbacks of Ms. Marvel by G. Willow Wilson, Adrian Alfona, and uh, I keep forgetting this guy's name. Uh, Jake Quiet. Jake Quiet. Yeah. So these will be... They're marked as Volume 1 and Volume 2. Um, I know that floppies do weird things with their numbering and trade paperbacks and stuff like that, but they're the ones called No Normal and Generation Y. W-H-Y. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at www.cloudscapecomics.com. Mm-hmm.